Let's stand together, take our Bibles, and open to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. It's a blessing to be able to open God's Word anytime. I want to thank uh, Brother Gaddis for the opportunity. Uh, he texted me just prior to the service, uh, letting me know that he was praying uh, for the service and that they were enjoying themselves uh, there with the family in Kentucky. And so continue to lift them up before the Lord that they'll enjoy the rest of their trip. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, familiar text. We're going to begin reading in verse number 12. We're going to go down through verse number 17. Verse 12 says this, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter to believe on him to life everlasting. That song we just heard about my life uh, showing forth his glory goes right along with what uh, Paul was saying here in this passage. Verse number 17. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer and then you can be seated. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for how you speak to our hearts. I pray that we'd give attention to you. We'd want to hear from you. Um, and we'd make it personal. And we would anticipate that there's something that you want to say to us individually. And uh, if we'll expect that, I'm almost confident, according to your word, that uh, it'll take place. If we'll listen to you, uh, you want to speak to us. God, help that to be the case this evening. Let your Holy Spirit do what only you can do. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Be seated. Thank you so much. Some things you become accustomed to, and you've heard it so many times, that uh, sometimes it loses uh, the impact. Help me out here, okay? All together. Ready? Uh, 20 times we're going to say the word umbrella. You ready? One, two, three. Umbrella, 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 umbrella. Okay, so what do you think we're talking about? An umbrella, okay? If you don't pay attention real well, which I tried to pay attention where I would enunciate it properly and come out with the words, you can easily get it mixed up. But if, um, you say something again and again and again and again, at times it doesn't have really the same meaning. Now when we read passages of Scripture, uh, some of them in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, uh, those sections, sometimes they lose the oomph that they once had for us. And we need to be reminded, that's primarily what preaching is, is being reminded of some things that we're already well uh, familiar with, but bringing them back to our attention. Now, think about it with me just for a moment. Um, 
How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls? A few people? Okay. When I was on deputation before we went to Venezuela, we had, it was just my wife and I, we didn't have children at that time. We were able to travel and we uh, did all of our deputation in one year, tried to zoom through it as quickly as we possibly could. But we took a few moments to stop places and we had the opportunity to stop and see Niagara Falls uh, very briefly. And then we headed on out to our next meeting. But we took that opportunity because, you know, everybody talks about it, how amazing it is and how wonderful it is. And so we looked at it and then kind of moved on. Similar to the Grand Canyon, we looked at it and said, okay, big hole in the ground. Let's move on, you know, just somewhere else. But the Niagara Falls, it's amazing if you were to stand there and see how much water flows over Niagara Falls. Now, some of you, I know you had to like, uh, oh, two years ago. You dealt with water inside your house, you know, flooding and breaking of pipes and that kind of stuff. Water in the wrong place is very disastrous, okay? But flowing over the falls, it's magnificent. It's beautiful. It's something you want to stand there and look at. You want to get on the little boat and go underneath the falls and wear the raincoat and all that kind of stuff uh, because you're going to get wet and have a good time with it. Niagara Falls, here's the thing. It keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. You know what it's going to do tomorrow? It's going to keep flowing. You know what it'll do next week? It's going to keep flowing. You know, I imagine if the Lord hasn't returned next year on this date of 2023, you know what Niagara Falls is going to be doing? It's going to be flowing. It just keeps doing that, except for two times. One time, naturally, it stopped flowing because of an ice dam that blocked the river and stopped the water from flowing over. And it ceased. Then it restarted. On another occasion, the uh, group of engineers decided that they needed to do some repairs there on Niagara Falls. And on March the 29th, uh, 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 excuse me, in June 1969, it stopped naturally in March 29th. But June 1969, the U.S. engineers diverted the flow of the Niagara Falls, uh, Niagara River away from the American side of the falls for several months. Their intended plan was to remove some loose rocks from the base of the waterfall and had the idea that, um, th- that this was going to work. Eventually, they abandoned the idea because it was too costly. There was too much work involved. And on November of that year, when they abandoned it, they then um, had some explosions that took place. They blew up their temporary dam and six million cubic feet of water once again ran over the falls and began to flow. And it has continued to do that since. There was a painting that was done of Niagara Falls, untitled painting. Someone wrote about it a little bit later and just simply put this attached to the painting, not the original uh, painter, but put this attached to the painting, more to follow. (laughs) What's that mean? Tomorrow it's going to keep flowing, keep flowing, keep flowing. Now we're used to that and probably it doesn't catch us as, wow, magnificent, fantastic, that kind of thing, because we're, we become accustomed to it. But here in this passage of Scripture, we have Paul talking to us about what he has to remind himself of daily. I truly believe that's what he did. That he reminded himself daily about what God did that just kept going and kept going and kept going. That there was more to follow. And he, never, he wanted to make sure that he never got over it. 
And he never moved beyond the fact that the work of God, the grace that God showed to him, the grace that God provided to him was as though he said in other passages of scripture, he said, he giveth more grace, that it just continues on and on and on. You know what? Whatever you need as a believer to face what you're going to face tomorrow, there's more to follow of God's grace to help you deal with that. He's not going to give you the grace that you need to face tomorrow today because you don't need it yet today. But he will give that grace to you when you face whatever it is you're going to be dealing with tomorrow or next week or the following uh, a month or next year. He has the ability to do that. More to follow, more to follow, more to follow. Now, the grace that God provides to us is the main idea that is coming out through this passage of Scripture, but it's all emphasized upon what Christ has done in a supplying of that grace. So let's step through this just a little bit. I have the opportunity to teach a number of classes out at Heartland, and uh, some of uh, them are... Um, Required courses, undergrad classes, uh, where individual didn't really have a choice whether they have to take it or not. And those are approached a little bit differently than elective courses are approached. Because somebody's approaching it and saying, I want to, I'm excited about this topic, and they're looking at that. Well, I also have the opportunity to teach in the grad school. And I've taught Advanced Hermeneutics 1 and Advanced Hermeneutics 2. And one of the things that we covered, we actually had an exercise of this, where we looked at a passage of Scripture and tried to come up with as many questions as we possibly could about that passage of Scripture as we were seeking to come to a right understanding of that passage. I seek to do that anytime I preach, come up with pages and pages at times of asking myself questions. Like, what does this mean? Why is this here? Uh, how does this impact life? Uh, and, and a variety of questions to help me grasp a better understanding of it. The second thing is to ask myself this question. And this is one that we uh, gave to, emphasis to also. What does this passage matter? I mean, what will anybody do with this? If they came and heard it, what would it do for their life next week, tomorrow, as they continue on? Well, here in this passage, we do have some questions, but they all actually have some answers that are included here for us. Let's start in verse number 12. It says, get this, and I thank... Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. He starts off with this idea of that which he's thankful for. That which he's grateful for. Now, sometimes we can read over quickly where it mentions thanks, um, that you know, he's just thanking some people, or he's thanking uh, individuals for their efforts, or thanking God and, and, uh, uh, as a closing or as a, a, an introduction to a book. But what we have here is Paul giving a testimony, and that's how he continues, giving a testimony of what's happened in his own personal life. Now, all of us, if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have a testimony. Do you ever remember being a teenager and going to a, some of us, it's a long time ago, you know, but I remember being a teenager and going to a youth rally and some preacher getting up there and giving this testimony and it was like, whoa, seriously, that person did that? You know, that kind of stuff. And you're like, wow, what a testimony. And you're like, well, I was raised in church and I got saved and when I was eight and I've been in church all my life and that's it. You know, I mean, you're thinking, I don't have much of a testimony. Wait a second. All of us, if you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have a testimony. I have a testimony. It took the same grace of God to save the drunkard and the person who was addicted to heroin out in the gutter that now is serving the Lord. It took the same grace of God to save that person as what it took to save me, even though I got to attend church and with my dad being a pastor. 
Same exact grace of God was necessary. I have a testimony. You do too. Now, Paul, he had a testimony. Yeah, he had an awesome testimony. He's like on this road, the Lord showed up to him. It was fantastic. I wish I had a testimony. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't wish for somebody else's testimony. God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you. He doesn't want you to be Paul. He wants you to be Bill, if your name's Bill, okay? He wants you to be Mary, if your name's Mary. I'm supposed to be Chuck. And so with this testimony, Paul was emphasizing what he was thankful for. He was thankful that God had done some work in his life. He said, I thank, who was it that he was thanking? To whom was this thanks going? Notice what he says in the passage right there. It's very straightforward. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. The direction of who it was that he wanted to point the thanks toward was Jesus Christ. Oh, praise the Lord when people say thank you to us or uh, they're grateful for something we have done for them. We all should uh, take that approach. And it's actually enjoyed by us when somebody does that. But Paul recognized the main thanks of his life had to go toward the one who had enabled him. The one that had caused him to be able to have the opportunity to be in the ministry. He says, I thank Jesus Christ. He goes on and he uses that phrase, who enabled me. So how was it that Jesus Christ was going to use Paul? Well, we're familiar with the passage. He enabled him. He gave him strength. I love the meaning of that word right there. The word enabled refers to to empower, to strengthen. Paul was a firm believer. We've heard it preached on as going through the book of Philippians that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul was a firm believer that Christ could give him the strength to deal with his life when he chose to walk with Jesus Christ and submit to Jesus Christ. And so in this passage, he was saying, he's the one that enabled me. He's the one that strengthened me. He's the one that empowered me. But also, he counted me. Notice this passage of Scripture. It says, it says, who enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. That word counted refers to to be deemed or considered or I like this definition of it, to lead me. So he counted, he deemed, he considered, Jesus Christ considered Paul faithful. This wasn't that he was super righteous or there was something built into him that caused him to have the ability to be in the ministry. It's that he willingly chose to say, I want to continue to thank Jesus Christ and here's my life. He continued to give his life over to Jesus Christ. And so what happened was God counted him, Jesus Christ counted him faithful, putting him in the ministry. Now, when we read that, Ministry. Well, yeah, that's a passage of scripture that needs to be preached at a Bible college or people that are going to be in the ministry. You know all the word means? Somebody help me out here. What does it mean? To serve. A servant. He counted me faithful, putting me into service. Putting me into a place of doing. A place of attendance. Not attendance as showing up, but attending to somebody. That's what the word is referring to. He was saying that he counted himself, this is great, he counted himself super privileged because he got to serve. He got to be used by God and he thanked God for it. Now think about that. We, all of us have been to Chick-fil-A probably, okay? 
And you go through there and you, we automatically, when they give us our food or, or we pay for it, we say thank you. And what do they say? My pleasure. Okay. Now you go to some other place and what do they do sometimes? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> say thank you. Yeah. Or uh, this one. Oh, this, oh, this perturbs me. Thank you. No problem. I never thought it was a problem, okay? I didn't think it was a problem me handing you my money so you could give me whatever it is that I ordered. But no problem, Ugh, you know, you bet, sure, whatever it is. Most people don't necessarily thank the person that they get to serve. Is that kind of odd? I mean, I get to provide something to you. Thank you for letting me provide this to you. That's not usually how it works. But that's what Paul was doing. He was saying, you enabled me to be able to serve. Thank you for enabling me. Thank you for giving me the ability to do this. Thank you. I don't want to get over the thanks. I don't want to get beyond the fact of what you have done for me that has caused me to be able to be used by this one who cares so much for me. Now, as he continues on, he talks about how that the Lord had put him into the ministry. But then he comes to this part. He says, now let me tell you about myself a little bit. So, Paul, why are you so thankful that you're a servant? Why are you so thankful that you've been enabled to be a servant? He says, well, if you would have known me, if you'd have known the life that I lived... And he says in verse number uh, 13, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, a blasphemer. I like this definition. This is great. You just look in the strong uh, concordance and you find this scurrilous. Now think about it. That means scandalous in claims giving, intention to damage reputation, scurrilous. So he was saying the idea that I'm a blasphemer. I'm one that is, I was actually living in a way intentionally trying to damage the reputation of Jesus Christ. I wanted to hurt him as much as I possibly could, and I was doing it in the name of God. He says, that's where I was. That's where I lived. Then he said, and I was a persecutor. Now, just like we would think the word would mean, it means to pursue effort after for the purpose of suffering. So I was pursuing after those, as we know the history, we're not going to go through all of that, but we know the history and the, the back testimony probably of, of Paul, that he was seeking after to persecute those who would want to uh, be followers of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's how I was. I pursued them with all of my heart. I love Apostle Paul because of this idea. Think about this. This man did everything that he did with passion. He put effort into it. He put energy into it. He made sure that his whole being was involved in it, even when he was going in the wrong direction. Even when he was persecuting, when he was being a blasphemer, he was taking that approach. And then he says, and I was injurious. Injurious simply means to be an insulter and to exercise abuse or exercise violence toward. So you say, yeah, that's Paul's history. No, wait a minute. You got to keep it in the context. Because the context was, thank you, God, for letting me to serve you. <laughs> because I remember how I was. <laughs> I remember the direction that I was choosing to go. I remember how opposite my life was compared to what you're letting me do now. <laughs> I don't want to get over the thank you. <laughs> 
I don't want to get over the idea of what God has done for me. So what we have here is what Christ can do like none other. And Paul acknowledging that. It's in his testimony. Now, imagine Paul being introduced. <laughs> Comes up and, there, you know, uh, often they will ask, um, do you have a biography of yourself so we can kind of know a little bit about you type thing. And, um, well, uh, I was a blasphemer and I was a persecutor and I was injurious. Okay, um, maybe we ought to find somebody else to speak. Maybe we ought to find somebody else to preach. I mean, this was his testimony of how he had lived his life. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on and it says, and, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. So he connects these two ideas of God's mercy, God letting him have more time. You know, that's what the Bible says. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And he gave Paul, Saul at that time a little bit more time, showed him a little bit more mercy while he was choosing a wrong direction to the point to where then the conversion, the salvation of Paul takes place and his life goes a different direction. So he's saying that mercy was provided to me because God was going to show his grace upon me. So he connects the two together, mercy and grace. But it's the miracle that happened in Paul's life. <laughs> that I almost think Paul made sure that every day when he got up, and started to face the day, he reminded himself of the miracle of God that it took to get him to the place where he was in serving God. And sometimes we just let it slip by so easily. He said, the grace of God was shown to me. It was bestowed upon me. This miracle, magnificent grace, we sing about it uh, Many songs have been written about it. The grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love. Now, did Paul need to inform Jesus Christ of how his life used to be? Of course not. Right here he's writing about his testimony of what his life used to be. God knew what his life was like, just like God knew what our life was like. Just like at this very moment, God knows what our life is like. He knows us. He knew us. He knew Paul. But yet he's still willing to show that grace. He's still willing to give us exactly what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but exactly what we need. His grace. Anybody know a song about it? Yeah, we do, don't we? I mean, we sing that amazing grace song occasionally, don't we? I know that uh, frequently it's sung at funerals. I kind of uh, have a little twinge inside of me that takes place when I've a few occasions had opportunity to do a funeral for a person who had no testimony of salvation and the family wants to sing Amazing Grace. And it's tough to do at times. Thinking there, there's nothing about this person's life that shows that they cared anything about God's amazing grace. But then when you get to sing it, and I've had a number of opportunities where you get to sing it at a believer's home going service. <laughs> 
I think we sing it wrongly, though. Shouldn't we put a little more emphasis on the amazing? Don't you think? Shouldn't we? Who can sing in here? Anybody sing in here? I can't, so I'm not, I don't think I should do that. No, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> but singing Amazing Grace, I mean, we should belt out that amazing part. I mean, just, oh, don't you want to? Paul, I think if they would have had the song Amazing Grace back then, I think he would have wanted to belt out the amazing part. Because he didn't want to get over the fact that it was God's grace and it was so amazing to him. Amen. And sometimes we forget how great truly God's grace is that he would show it to us. Why? Because we look pretty good when we come to church. We've gotten used to this Christian thing. We've gotten used to coming and sitting in the pew. We've gotten used to hearing the messages and singing the songs and, and praying the prayers and making sure to say the exact right words that we are supposed to say when we're praying for the offering or we're praying for a dinner or we're praying for whatever it is that we happen to be praying for. We're pretty good at that and we forget. If it wasn't for the amazing grace of God, if it wasn't, get that, the amazing grace of God, I would be where? I would be on my way to a place called hell, the lake of fire eventually. I would, that would be my destination if it wasn't for the amazing grace of God. He showed it to me. And Paul even puts that emphasis upon that where he says, notice the passage. Oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Don't miss this, please. He says, uh, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love. Exceeding abundant. <sighs> Over the top. Hooper playing also. That's the word, two different words combined together for the purpose of having a exceeding abundant, super abounding, and more and more and more, more to follow, more to follow, more to follow, more to follow. His grace being shown beyond measure. Oh, take this right, please. While sometimes we live our very quaint Christian lives. His grace is sometimes taken for granted in the very heart of the one, in the very life of the one that he was willing to show it to. I put myself in that place. Sometimes we can get so full of who we are. And we forget we don't deserve his grace. There's not one person in here that deserves his grace. Let alone grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. But he was willing to show it. Grace greater than all our sin. Grace, grace. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> not going to, not going to. I do that in my car. The few times I, I like riding motorcycles and I don't have one right now, but um, I have ridden them. And one of my favorite things to do is to have that helmet on and just sing at the top of my lungs while I'm running down the road on the motorcycle. That's just fantastic. I mean, you know, I'm the best singer on that bike at that time. <laughs> the very best. But we could sing about God's grace. We could sing about how amazing it is, how wonderful it is, how, how I don't deserve God's grace. But sometimes we live as though we think we do. We come to church like I have to be all prim and proper because I deserve this. <coughs> Stick with me here. 
I'm not any better than a person who would be addicted to some drug of their choice that walks in those back doors and needs God's grace. But sometimes we start thinking we are. Oh, we don't admit it. We just kind of live like it. And we're saved for a little while. And we forget what it took to purchase our salvation. I was 17 years old when I accepted Christ as my Savior. I watched Christians for a lot of years. I was raised in church. I just played a game for a while. I wonder if sometimes, even though we've been saved for a little bit longer, maybe we still play the game. How long has it been since we actually humbled ourselves before the Lord and said, God, I don't deserve to get to go to church. I don't, get to, I don't deserve to have a Bible to read. I don't deserve an opportunity to hear preaching from your word that encourages me. I don't deserve your Holy Spirit to be there to be my other comforter. That comforter that comes along beside me to help me to deal with the problems that I'm facing in this life. I don't deserve the grace that you're going to show to me when that thing that I don't even know is coming next week and I have to face it. I don't deserve that. And sometimes we forget about it. We just, we're saved. Don't take, take me right. Thank the Lord for our salvation. Thank the Lord for what we have. I mean, we have heaven to look forward to. We have his presence to look forward to. But it's not because of us. This morning we heard about, you must be born again. Why do you preach that? Why, why do we need to preach that so much? Because you must be born again. And so, what did it take for us to be born again? Not what we did. It's what he did for us. His grace being supplied to us. His grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We could take this whole row of young men right here, have them come up here and one down on the ground and say, imagine him being grace and put another one on top of that and another one on top of that and another one on top of that, kind of like a football pile-up type setting. We could have 20 guys here piled up on top of each other just demonstrating how much grace and we wouldn't come close to demonstrating how much God's grace has been shown to us. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The emphasis that Paul gives to this grace that God had shown to him kind of culminates in verse number 15. It says, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The normal pattern, sadly, says a person is saved longer. They start seeing themselves a little bit better, a little bit better, and a little bit better. But Paul gives us the opposite demonstration. He gives us that demonstration of as he drew closer and closer to the Lord, you see that he saw himself as not deserving God's grace even more in the latter part of his life than what he did in the earlier part of his life. Some of us are probably familiar with the passages of Scripture. For instance, about 
AD 56 to 57, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And in that early, earlier letter that he wrote, he said, I am the least of the apostles, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That, that passage there where he says, I am the least of the apostles, is first person singular present indicative, which, which means he's saying, that's what I currently am. I'm the least of the apostles. Then in AD 60 to 63 time frame, where he wrote from Rome, the book of Ephesians, he says, unto me who am less than the least of the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what you have is him almost doing a comparison of himself with the apostles and then doing a comparison with all of the saints. And then we come to this passage of scripture, which... First Timothy chapter number one would have been written in the latter part of his life, not the last book, but right next to it. One of the last books that he wrote in 63, AD 63 to 66 time frame. And he says in this passage, he says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Present indicative. He didn't say I was chief. He says I am chief. But we can so easily start thinking I was a sinner, I was one that was like that. Yes, Paul was a persecutor. He was injurious, but he had received the grace of God. But he, at the very time that he was saying this, he was saying, I am this sinner, the chiefest of the sinners. I don't deserve God's grace. What we have from Paul, and I honestly, in my personal opinion, think this is why God used Paul in such a great way, because he did not become full of himself. He did not come to a place to where it became about Paul. I mean, even some said, let me defend you, Paul. You know, people are uh, making fun of you and they're talking bad about you while they're preaching the gospel. And Paul says, well, in every way the gospel is preached. He forgot about himself and the emphasis became about Jesus Christ. This passage of scripture is about how Jesus Christ showed grace to Paul. And Paul said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I get to serve you. I don't deserve any of this grace, but thank you, thank you, thank you. I was the worst sinner but I get to serve I get to serve Jesus Christ and it it grasps a hold of him and it doesn't grasp a hold of me enough I don't think it grasps a hold of us nowadays what it took for God to purchase our salvation we start thinking I kind of deserve this no I don't I don't deserve another, another moment of his grace. You know, as we get older, we still want to think of ourselves as young. Don't we, Brother David? I'm 52 years old. I figured, um, since Brother Raspberry announced his age this morning, I announced mine too, okay? We'll go around the room here in a little bit and everybody can announce theirs too. 52 years old. But you know what? I still think of myself as young. Now, I remember a few years ago, I got out and played basketball with some guys that really knew how to play basketball. <laughs> I used to be a real good guard. You know, you had to like shoot from like 65 feet out <laughs> you know, because I was so short. <laughs> but then I played with these guys. They wore me out so fast. I was like, yeah, I used to. I remember the first shot that I took. I was like, I wasn't even close to the goal. What happened? You know, <laughs> I mean, I used to be able to. And we think of ourselves as young but as we get a little bit older, there's some things that begin to take over. Of course, we know that we don't have as much strength. We don't have as much ability. 
But you know the grace that we need from God might be that we're facing different things than what we were facing when we were 25 or when we were 30. But the grace of God is still the same. It's still shown to us. And we must, we must, just as Paul did in a latter time frame of his life, remind ourselves, why am I not thankful as much for it as what maybe I used to be? Why do I put more emphasis upon what I'm doing as opposed to the fact, or in contrast to the fact of what Christ is doing? Try to be a better Christian. Won't work. You know how Paul became the man that he was? Because he kept this opinion of acknowledging. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about what he shows to me. It's all about his enabling. It's all about me staying as close as I can to him and knowing. (laughs) The better I know him, the more he's going to work through me. The closer I am to him, the stronger I'm going to (laughs) be. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. The very last part of his life. My greatest desire. Because I know where that power is. I know where that strength is. I know where that enabling is. I know where that usefulness is. I know where that effectiveness is. That's what Paul says. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Being made conformable unto his death. He said, I want to draw closer and closer and closer to him. A present view wasn't as much about what he could accomplish. It was about what Jesus Christ wanted to accomplish. That's why he draws us to this place where he says, How be it, verse 16, For this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. That there was a purpose to God showing His grace, that Paul would show a pattern to those in the future. That's what his desire is for us also right now, is that it would be a pattern about that which will take place. Every person, get this, every person that we come in contact with, every person around us is going to spend eternity somewhere. And we have to set a pattern that God's grace is available, that God's grace saved us, that God changed us. My lands, we should never do something that would cause a person to not have a desire after Jesus Christ because they spent a little time with us. Seriously, people should not walk into a congregation of people and find a group of people that are all stuck up on themselves and not caring about other individuals. There shouldn't be a thing out of our life that points somebody away from Jesus Christ. Why? His grace was given to help us set a pattern of what Jesus Christ could do in a person's life for those that could believe later on. It's not just for our benefit. It's not so we can sit around and sing about it. Praise the Lord, we get to. Praise the Lord for the wonderful number of songs that are written about the grace of God. But the grace of God is to be lived out. The grace of God is to be changing us. What has changed in our life? I ask myself personally. Okay, let's do it that way. What has changed in my life in the past month? There should be changes that are happening if God's grace is still growing us, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's what's supposed to be happening. If there haven't been any changes that are happening to us, what has taken place? Maybe we have forgotten how great the grace of God is. Maybe our thankfulness has shrunk. And he says, verse 17, now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory 
forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) He says, don't think about Paul. Don't think about how great he is. I get to teach the book of Acts and life of Paul now this past year. I've gotten to do it twice and thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's an exciting uh, going through the book of Acts. One of the most exciting books in the Bible because of the adventures that are taken and the uh, advancement of um, the local churches that take place. And I had a great time doing it. And some of the students, I think, enjoyed it too. Some of them. Uh, (laughs) But Paul, I wonder if he heard I really don't think he's really paying attention to what's happening down here. He has plenty in heaven to keep him uh, engaged. So he's not, I wonder what they're doing pertaining to my life down there. No, I don't really think that's heavy on his mind, okay? Um, but if he knew, Bible college teaches, teach classes of the life of Paul. I wonder what he would say. Think through it. What do you mean you're teaching a class about my life? Teach about how Jesus Christ changed my life. (laughs) Teach about Jesus Christ worked in my life. Well, that's why it's called Acts and the life of Paul, okay? Because the life of Paul is included in the book of Acts. Why? Because it's the acts of the Holy Spirit as he used the apostles, as he used the apostle Paul for the purpose of taking the gospel around the world. (laughs) So we have to put the emphasis in the right spot. (laughs) We can't put the emphasis upon who Paul was. (laughs) be like coming to church and somebody asked, I was joking with them earlier, and they were going to leave their Bible, or they were taking their Bible with them, I guess it was, and forgot to set, set it down for their spot. And I joked, I said, oh, I don't know if you'll need it tonight. And they said, yeah, you'll probably preach out a newspaper or something like that, won't you? <laughs> um, think about it. We don't need preaching or teaching pertaining to Chuck Patterson's life <laughs> or your life. We need preaching and teaching pertaining to what Jesus Christ can do in a person's life. (laughs) The preaching and teaching pertaining to the life of Paul has to focus upon how Jesus Christ changed Saul into Paul. How Jesus Christ took this guy who had much going for him in the way of intelligence, much going for him in the way of knowledge pertaining to uh, the Old Testament law, how he was a Jew in the background and in his upbringing, and God changed his life to where he could have an effect upon Jewish people and even had a desire to have an effect upon Gentile people. And God used him greatly on those that Jews would have nothing to do with. But the emphasis has to be upon Jesus Christ can do that in anybody's life. He did it for Paul. He did it for Saul. He changed their life and he can change our life too. Jesus Christ is the emphasis. It has to be. And Paul right here was saying, I thank God. I thank God that he enabled me putting me in the ministry because I was this way. You wouldn't have wanted to know me. I wasn't a person who had a desire after Christ, but he showed me grace and he changed my life and he's using my life. And if I could just know him a little bit more, I know he could use me just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. It's reminiscent of one of the Psalms. Psalm number 34. Verse number three says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. A couple of verses later, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Maybe we have let it slide just a little bit of what it took 
to purchase our salvation. And it's not, let's try a little harder to make sure it doesn't slip. It's, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Here's the last part. Be honor and glory. Where's that honor and glory supposed to come from? From our life. What did we hear sung about just a few moments ago? 44 minutes ago. (laughs) What did we hear sung about? Our life showing His glory. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What better way could we honor Him than say, God, help me to show Your grace. Help my life to continue to be changed. Help my life to continue to be what you want me to be. You know what that's going to require? You're going to have to humble yourself. We're going to have to forget that it's not all about me. We have to remind ourselves regularly. So if I don't get the credit, so if things don't go my way, so my expectations aren't met. All of us have to deal with this. To get over us. It's the only way we can come to a place and truly be now unto. Now unto the king. That won't happen as long as we keep focusing upon us. Let's bow our heads. I don't know how God might have used this message in our hearts. I just know the subject matter is something I have to remind myself of and I have to seek God to remind me of it regularly. What He wants to do in my life. To helping me to be what He wants me to be. To humble myself and acknowledge what it took for His mercy to be shown. For His grace to be shown. wasn't me. It was of Him. Let's have a word of prayer and then we're going to stand together. And I'm going to ask you, if God spoke to your heart about something, if you know you haven't, you're not grateful or thankful the way that you used to be, or maybe it's just the need of humbling ourselves and saying, God, thank you for your grace again. However God might have spoken to your heart, you can use this altar, you can kneel there at your seat, you can pray with somebody else. You don't even have to start singing if God spoke to your heart. Use this time yourself personally. Lord, help us. You know what's needed in the heart and life of every person. Simply help us to respond how you've talked to us. In Christ's name I pray.